agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government of the government love. The government of the government love. The government of the government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. Today I'm joined by Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican factotum Jay Carson. Hey, Jay. Morning, Mike. How are you doing this morning? Well, I'm I'm in I'm in that pre-Christmas uh, mode where I'm sort of uh, uh, vacillating between like the two stages of George Bailey, the one like ready <laughs> to jump off the bridge, and the other like running through the streets shouting "Merry Christmas." So yeah. I'm I'm not sure which one exactly is going to <laughs> to carry the day, well, but we'll see. I hope the latter. Uh, but speaking of Christmas, you know, I should mention to folks that the show will also be taking a Christmas break. Uh, we will not be having uh, new episodes going up on Wednesday the 25th for obvious reasons or Saturday the 28th. So after today, our next new episode will be on Wednesday, January 1st, and that'll be uh, an interview. And unless, you know, something bizarre or colossal happens in the interim and who knows, but I- I'm guessing probably not. All right. So, Jay, I think we'd start with, well, the obvious story, the creation of the Space Force. No, we'll get to that. (laughs) But I, I, you know, when I heard that, Jay, I knew how excited you would be. But uh, me too. I am, yes. But I guess guess probably the first thing we should talk about is that on Wednesday, the House of Representatives voted to approve two articles of impeachment against President Trump. On the first article, abuse of power, the vote was 230 to 197. And then on the second article of obstruction of Congress, it was 229 to 198. Now, all of the House Republicans voted against both articles. Uh, Democrats, uh, Colin Peterson of Minnesota and now former Democrat Jeff Andrew of New Jersey voted against both articles as well. And Representative Jared Golden of Maine joined them in opposing the obstruction of Congress article. And all three of these representatives uh, represent districts that President Trump won in 2016. But then there's a Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii whose district didn't support Donald Trump in 2016 and who voted present for both articles. And in explaining her vote, Gabbard said, I'm standing in the center and have decided to vote present. I could not in good conscience vote against impeachment because I believe President Trump is guilty of wrongdoing. I I also could not in good conscience vote for impeachment because removal of a sitting president must not be the culmination of a partisan process fueled by tribal animosities that have so gravely divided our country. So, Jay, before we get to what happens next, which we will get to, uh, what are your thoughts on the impeachment vote? Well, you, you finally did it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it finally went. Um, uh, I, I again, I, I will, I will say for a moment of triumphalism here, uh, just that I, I predicted uh, this long ago, um, and my, my sense was that there was just the forces had been set in motion uh, by the Mueller report, and, and in, in fairness, there was a, some conservative outlets that pointed. Look, uh, it's not that this was, you know. This probably well, I don't know. Obviously, it wouldn't happen to Mitt Romney, but um, Trump Trump played a role uh, <laughs> throughout this. You think um, played a role? Yeah, I uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say but, he but no, played but, a my, role. My, my my point, and this is sort of the bigger historical, is I think um, those historical forces were were moving towards impeachment. I don't think um, uh, once the train gets started, it's it's pretty much impossible to stop. So. Um, that said, um, I, I think the, the, the fascinating, the, the big question is, uh, what will voters think, um, down the line? Because you and I are, are both agreed that barring something really strange, miraculous, uh, beyond anyone's, uh, uh, you know, um, imagination at this point, uh, Trump will not be removed. Um, and there's there there's there's even some weird kind of questions. Well, technically, has he been technically impeached yet? Uh, but um, so so I think it's it's you know it's going to be up to the voters. That, so this is more of almost a you know censure type uh, type thing. Uh, Democrats will be able to brand him as look the impre- the president who has been impeached, uh, one of only um, three in in history. Uh, and, uh, you know, therefore you take that into account and that, and that's a fair, that's a fair argument in an election, I think. Um, 
but the the flip side of that is if you look at the polls where they have have stood as far as public support of impeachment um those swing voters those independent voters uh particularly um the support for impeachment has been diminishing as the process goes on which is sort of the opposite of what you would hope that throughout the hearings you would you would hope that you know all right we've got enough to start um uh, the ball rolling and then we get these witnesses we have these hearings um uh, hearings in in which again the democrats enjoy a sub- substantial advantage um because one they get to set the rules and and two they've got the media but uh they've this, got this... part of the media i mean certainly it's not like uh, it's not like you're listening to a whole lot of uh, uh msnbc or anything like that so conservatives have their media too well yeah no but but if you but if you if you want to say cnn and the new york times and the washington post uh, I would, I, those are pretty impeachment friendly media sources. Um, but, uh, regardless, what my, my, my point is that the, the case with the average voter, it's, it's just not, it hasn't been registering. Um, and I'm not, I'm not making this as a, as a partisan argument. I'm just, you know, telling this is what the numbers are sure. saying. Sure. Well, um, I mean, so. Yeah, I think, you know, looking at the electoral part of it, uh, well, well, before we get to that, I wanted to mention, I, you know, I brought out Gabbard's statement because I thought it was, I thought it was interesting and I felt, I wouldn't say exactly sympathy, but putting aside her whatever ulterior motive she may have, and there's a lot of talk about weird motives that Gabbard has, you know, I- And she's a, a Russian agent. You know, I, you know, there's a lot of talk, right? A lot of- <laughs> Goofy talk, as you know, to to use a word that you you use a lot and rightly so, I think. But, you know, I feel like if you honestly believe that the president has committed offenses that merit trial and possibly removal in the Senate, I think you have a duty to the country, uh, to the Constitution to vote for impeachment. And, you know, she makes a reasonable point. She makes a very good point. I think that removal of a president shouldn't be, she calls it, what, the, the culmination of a, of a wholly partisan process. And then I say, well, that's why the Senate requires two-thirds to convict. So, it, I mean, it's built into, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty smart system, I think, for impeachment and removal. And so that's why I think uh, her, her argument in the end fails, because it's not going to result in his removal because it takes that sort of a, you know, that sort of a bipartisan majority to make it happen, which, as you point out, you know, we don't have in the public and we certainly don't have in the Senate. But yeah, and, and but it still casts a little bit of doubt on on um, her party if she feels that the the process was overly partisan, um, which, again, it's, it's, it's impossible. Obviously, you and I can talk about this, too. And everybody, you know, since Alexander Hamilton has said this, that that was going to be the nature of any impeachment. Um, it would it would incite the, you know, the factions and so forth. Um, but. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I. I, my, my my point, my thing with Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard is, is I guess that I'm just not a big fan of of the the voting present. Sure, uh, yeah, I agree. Thing. It's Take like, a, look, all right, you know, you can side. say you can say yes, but I've got some reservations, or you can say, uh, boy, I think he's a crummy person and probably ought to be, but no, you know what I mean? There's yeah. there's a yeah. lot of other places you can still do that, and still vote, but yeah. and and um, you know, then there was the weird Jeff Van Drew thing in that kind of cringe inducing. Uh, uh, session with Trump where he pledged his undying support and it like it was like something out of the Godfather or something like that. And I thought I thought, you know, I thought his oath was to the Constitution and not to Donald Trump. And maybe he took a different one. I'm not really sure. But how how awful. How how my gosh, how embarrassing for and the weird thing is of course is that he votes exactly like a Democrat and on all but this and so the undying support, I don't know, it's just what a what an embarrassing moment for Jeff Andrew is sad. Well, and, and I would say not not even tends to vote like a Democrat, but but votes like with the squad kind of. I mean, yeah. he's you know the the far left progressive type. Um, I, I don't I don't really know much about Jeff Van Drew, and I'd never you know heard his name until last week. Yeah. Um, but my sense is, uh, having been around political institutions and and legislatures and and so forth. Um, Someone once said, look, in, in any deck of, you know, 52 cards, there's always at least two jokers. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes you just get people who are just, uh, you know, 
yeah. bizarre. Yeah, and, like the and president. Think, yeah, well, no, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with you there, but um, right, that that don't particularly have any set loyalties or or just do do yeah. really strange um, strange things. So I mean, I think he's he's one of those. So I don't think you can necessarily chalk up the Jeff Drew thing to. I mean, it's it's not principled. No, you, um, you think? <laughs> it's not, I don't even know if it's it's partisan. It's one. I mean, so often, also, a lot of times we have these uh, um, uh, situations where it's it's you know they're just upset with you know whatever their their county chairman or something yeah. over something and um, like a personal oh, peak kind of thing. Yeah, that's yeah, weird. yeah. I mean, just those weird sorts of uh, uh, things that that play out that. Uh, I'll show you. I'll I'll switch parties. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, well, I'm not yeah. I'm not big on on party switching. I'm not big on voting present. Uh, again, I'm I'm an old school kind of traditionalist on on both those. That um, well, you know, I think it makes sense. Party switching, like for instance, in the context of 1980s, early 1990s Southern politics, where there were a lot of incredibly conservative. Southern Democrats who their views legitimately right. you should could, you can say that yeah the, the position of the party is yeah. not my position and has not yeah. been my position but this is not that I mean pretty right. clearly but <laughs> anyway but you know what happens next of course is that the house needs to send those articles of impeachment along with impeachment managers to present the case against President Trump to the Senate but as uh, as you and I'm sure, around to it, yeah. yeah, Speaker Pelosi decided not to do that yet. And of course, that means that we won't have anything happening until early January. And when President Clinton was tried, Senate Democrats and Republicans worked together on a process that every single member of Senate of the Senate supported. It was a unanimous consent thing. Now, I would say that seems very likely to happen this time around. And of course, there are a lot of Democrats who want multiple witnesses to be called, including acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney, former National Security Advisor John Bolton, whereas Republicans seem to want a quick process with few, if any, witnesses. And Mitch McConnell has publicly stated that he's working hand in hand with the White House on this, and he's you know demonstrated that, and that he has no intention of being an impartial juror, which... A lot of folks on my side of the aisle feel is a clear and well brazen violation of the oath he and every other senator will be taking at the beginning of the trial. And that oath reads, I solemnly swear that in all things appertaining to the trial of the impeachment of Donald J. Trump now pending, I will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and the laws. So help me, God. And, Jay, you know, I'd like your thoughts on both how the process is likely to unfold in the Senate and, and also, you know, that, that oath, I mean, is that oath meaningless or what does it mean exactly in your view? Cause my view is pretty clear. If you say that you're going to, if you solemnly swear to do impartial justice, that means that, well, you'll, you'll look at the evidence and if it supports the president, then you'll support him. But if it supports yeah. his removal, you would do the same thing. But what it doesn't mean is you say, well, I'm going into this essentially working for the white house. That's, that's my take. But what do you think? Well, I, I think we have to start with the idea and this is because impeachment is just a, a weird and unique animal, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's quasi judicial, it's quasi legislative and you say it's a trial, but it's not really a trial like, um, you know, in a regular trial, the the way this regular trial, like a um, you have jurors who, uh, first of all, are are instructed on here is the evidence you're allowed to see, here is the evidence you're allowed to consider, uh, here are the you know elements of the crime which you must find to convict. Uh, there's there's a whole process of of what you need to uh, find and what you can look at in finding it. And impeachment, as we've said like 50 million times, is, is <laughs> yeah. by necessity a political process. Yeah. And it's also a, a matter of, I mean, it would be one thing for if you had someone who is going on trial for murder and you've got a prospective juror who said, look, uh, yeah, I think the guy did it. Uh, I'm, you know, put me on the, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to convict the son of a bitch. Right. Um, you would say, no, that, that guy seems to be not impartial. Um, but in this case, it, it's also a matter of this, this evidence has been out there, right? It's, it's, it's floating. It's, it's, there's no way that, um, it, it's a difficult thing to say like, well, geez, I haven't made up my mind yet. Right. I mean, that sort of strains credulity. Right. And I um, understand that, but what McConnell said was not that 
McConnell right. just said that he would not be impartial. And it seems to me right. well, that I think, he's, I think he's sort of saying I've, I've made up my mind. I mean, I, I think it is sort of a a thing of, look, I, I have looked at this impartially and uh, and well, I've I, made up my mind that he, you know, I'm, I understand I'm you're not... reading into what he's saying, but his actual words just said, I am not impartial. And and right. so if he would have said, based on the evidence, I've made up my mind. And if there's nothing new that I see, I, I don't see myself possibly changing my mind. But that's that's not what he's saying or doing at all. And so yeah, to that's, me, that's why McConnell should have me writing his statements. <laughs> uh, uh, but. No, I, I think I think it's one of those. It, it, there's sort of two. And gosh, I guess I hate, I'm pushing I hate on to, this. I hate to almost drift into this. It's but, almost like it's you know, it's, depends on what you mean by impartial. Um, but <laughs> but I think there it is. It is sort of the the word is being used in two different senses. One in the the oath of I will be an impartial judge of of the facts, and the other is uh, I will not be partial uh, as to where those facts may have led me already. Sure. Again, I can't get in. I can't yeah. get inside of McConnell's mind, but I, that's my. That's it would my be sense. a dark place, Jay. It would be a dark place. It would be awful. I, you know well, how I feel about Mitch no, McConnell. But, but, I, but, I, but think anyway. I think he's he's saying, look, I've I've from I, from what I've seen, I I don't see this, and I I think it was a whatever sham charges, flawed process, all, all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, so I. That well, that yeah. is that. I mean, that is you know the most charitable reading of it. And that's why I asked you, because of course my reading is it's just, you know, that it is in fact the clear and brazen violation of the oath he's going to be taking. But, but yeah, I wanted to get your take on that for just that reason. So do you think that in terms, obviously we're not going to have a unanimous consent agreement about, uh, about the rules uh, or about witnesses or anything like that. I mean, wh wh what's your sense of how that's going to, going to shake out? Will it be completely partisan? Because I would think that that McConnell would want to give enough concessions to at least pull over, you know, a few, a few Democratic you'll, senators. You'll get Joe Manchin. You'll get you get Joe Manchin. Um, there will I, I, you know, I I again I don't I don't know. Uh, I'm not privy to what the the top secret plan is. Um, my sense is that that Senate Republicans, because Trump has said, "Oh, hell, I'll testify." Yeah, um, <laughs> and and Mitch McConnell has. I I buy a no, ticket no, that to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know there there is the sense that, and 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 I get this because just from that type of situation, there is just the the potential for stuff blowing up or just getting goofy. Sure. Um, that's that's there, and and you always just want to sort of minimize that to the extent you can. Um, also, I think McConnell has a, a decent argument in that. Uh, look, you've had the opportunity to make the full record, and and the record is is sort of before us on on this. And if if the House had wanted to call other folks, they could have. Uh, they they you know claim they're frustrated because of the claims of executive privilege, um, and you know, look, you could have gone to court to do that, but it would have taken more time and you might not have won. So, you know, you made, you made your bed and now you got to lie in it. Yeah. I guess that's, that's sort of, and, and there's also then the precedent of the Clinton impeachment was done purely on the record, essentially the, the Ken Starr report. And here are the facts that have been found. Um, there was, I think a limited, there, there were like a couple of limited depositions, but it was only a couple of weeks really. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it was not yeah, a, but it, it wasn't, yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. live testimony <clears throat> yeah. on the floor of the Senate. Right. Um, and, and there was a, um, I forget who, someone in the wall street journal had, had taken, you know, can you, can you imagine, um, if in that the Republicans had sought to call Monica Lewinsky? Yeah. That know, would, yeah. Just to find the well, of the Senate, my God, that would, I mean, would that have, would that have changed? The equation dramatically. It, it may well have. Yeah. Uh, it also would have, um, you know, if, if you think our politics are, are broken now, I mean, I guess it would have broken them, you know, 30 years earlier, yeah. 20 years, five years earlier. Um, but there was there was a sense institutionally, I think, on both sides then that uh, you had to preserve, uh, I don't know, the dignity is maybe the wrong word, uh, the solemnity, the uh, the that it, it would somehow look tawdry, right? Yeah. And now uh, we don't make, care about that too much. the Senate yeah. look like a uh, reality courtroom, you know, Judge yeah. Wapner TV kind of thing. Jade, you know, do you ever, I'm sure you do, this makes me think, there are times 
when I really when I really miss elite politics, I mean, the don't and I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but you know, the advantages I think of opening up the system in in, in the balance far outweigh the disadvantages. But I feel that now essentially everything goes. You know, political office is now this kind of hyper ambition fueled thing, and we've ended up with with just such a well such a tawdry show of awfulness. Jeff, Jeff Andrews and yeah, you know the exactly. AOC. It's yeah. exactly. And and again, I'm not I'm not at all calling for a return to the even more old white male dominated kind of thing. But there are times when I miss even the pretense of dignity in, in our politics, <laughs> I guess, you know. So anyway, I just just occurred. Well, to no, me. There, there's there's something in and, and I think it's it's maybe generational. It may be just, again, tra- traditional sort of this is the way um we used to look at, you know, we used to, we used to look at, at politicians in some ways as a, a, like a father figure type thing. And that's what, you know, we expected that sort yeah, of, that's more like crazy uh, uncle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you sort of expected sort of the ward cleaver kind of, or, uh, you know what I mean? Some, yeah. someone would be like, we played like, you know, with Jimmy Stewart or like a Fred McMurray or, you know what I mean? That's yeah. sort of a, you know what I mean? Um, yep, absolutely. sort of caring, but gentle, but still firm and strong and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Not, not um, so much anymore. Yeah. And and now it is it is more just uh, it, it's a different a different culture and I don't know whether that reflects the the country as a whole uh, changes in the media that we could that could be a whole other show of like where where did the dignity go that might be that might be a good a good like special we could do yeah absolutely because that's because that's like because because between that's like a Burkean thing too right? it is absolutely because that's what we're that's what we're complaining about is yeah. is sort of the the change of the just the traditional sort of look, we're not going to do that because that's just not what we do. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, hey, uh, I know we're going to be talking a lot more about this uh, when we uh, when we come back again in January. But for now, let's move on to another uh, another important story that was overshadowed a little bit this week. The second big story, and in a way you could almost argue it was, I don't know, some people would say it's the, the first big story, but it was certainly overshadowed uh, with by the impeachment vote, understandably so. And, you know, last week, Trey and Ken discussed the Justice Department Inspector General's report, which found plenty of serious problems with the Crossfire Hurricane investigation into Russian involvement in the 2016 election, but no anti-Trump political bias. Now, this week, testifying before a Senate committee, Inspector General Michael Horowitz said that he was concerned that the FBI didn't reevaluate whether or not to continue investigating the Trump campaign after failing to uncover evidence of wrongdoing. Horowitz has also announced that as a result of what he found looking into this specific case, he'll be conducting an investigation to see if visa application issues are more widespread. And also this week, the presiding judge of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, Rosemary Collier, ordered the government to explain what the FBI will do in the future so that judges aren't being misled about the need for surveillance orders. And in her order, Judge Collier wrote, The frequency with which representations made by FBI personnel turned out to be unsupported or contradicted by information in their possession and with which they withheld information detrimental to their case calls into question whether the information contained in other FBI applications is reliable. And her order requires the government to submit a statement describing what it has done and plans to do to ensure that the statement of facts in each FBI application accurately and completely reflects information possessed by the FBI that is material to any issue presented by the application. So this, I think, to me, is a pretty big deal. Jay, what do you think? This is a huge deal. Uh, and uh, I would, I'm, I'm going to quibble a little bit with your, with your description of the IG report. And I, I don't think you did this intentionally, but I, I think he didn't necessarily find that the Trump investigation was not motivated by political bias. I, I think the, the finding was there was evidence to support the opening of an investigation, right? That they passed that threshold, um, that, that it was not politically motivated at that level. Uh, but for these other mistakes, then he was sort of said, look, look, we asked for answers and really none were, were forthcoming. Um, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just quibbling with you a little bit there, but uh, on the bigger picture, I, I think we agree. Um, and I gotta tell you, the, the FISA court does not issue public orders, uh, and, and issuing a public order like this is a, is a really big deal. And uh, as a lawyer, um, 
if you get a, a court making those kind of orders about you, um, that typically and, and rightfully so would could be you know a career-ending sort of yeah. sort of thing. Um, you you don't go into um, I mean, here's the thing: you you don't go into small claims court and and misrepresent the facts. Uh, that again, if you're, you're this, they drill this into you in like you know the first week of law school that um, you know if, if you say you're you know your client signed the, the contract on on Tuesday and it was in fact a Wednesday, well, you might as well just turn in your bar license. Um, but right. but I mean, there is this sort of fear of God that's that's instilled in you that that you don't misrepresent. Um, information to the court. Especially if you think you're going to get caught. (laughs) Exactly. Well, but, and that's, that's sort of, well, and judge, judge Collier uh, points out that really in, in this case, there's what's called a heightened degree of candor um, because you're, you're unlikely to get caught. Right. Exactly. uh, Because there, there's, this isn't an adversarial uh, process. It's an ex parte process, which means it's just the government gets to come in and say, we've got this evidence give us the warrants. And and the court says, you know, look, I got to take your word for it because there's no one on the other side to come in and say, look, they're they're full of it. But and um, you, you know, just maybe this will be useful for some listeners to give a, kind of a sense of what this court is. It was you know established in 1978, and how it works is that there are it is composed of 11 district judges, and they're chosen by the chief justice, chief. and they have to come from at least seven of the uh, of the circuits. And then each of these judges sits for staggered seven-year terms, and they also, at the same time, still serve as a judge in whatever district they're they're taken taken from, essentially. Then there's this presiding judge who basically acts kind of like a chief judge of, you know, uh, of that court. Right, which sort of rotates. Yeah. And then applications, if the, if the government applies for this, uh, you know, a, a FISA warrant, then it's heard by a single judge and by statute. The government can't ask another judge to consider an application if one judge has denied it, but they can call for review by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court of Review, which is a three-judge panel, again, appointed by the chief justice that hears that hears uh, uh, appeals, basically, to this. So that, right. that's sort of how the, the process is. And since it was established in 78, it's granted uh, 34, around 34,000 warrants, and it's denied 12. Um, so that's a pretty good... <laughs> but, but, you know, but, and Your that sounds that sounds bad, but... I think on one hand, you have to keep in mind that, of course, the government's not just going to come with any old thing, probably. That's one thing. But that's what we'll find out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But but also, in many of these instances, I think around a quarter, that's the data I saw of these instances, is that the the court grants the government less than it was asking for. So it's like a modified thing. You can do this, but you can't do that. But, But still, the larger point here, Jay, and this is the thing that Concern, this actually concerns me more than the Trump stuff uh, in the end, if it is if it's true, because of the secrecy involved that that this could be. I mean, this is like a serious civil liberties potentially, you know, and, and this reminds me not that I was old enough to remember it, but back in the 70s when the when the intelligence community was you know considered to be kind of running rampant and we had this church the committee didn't like the intelligence. Yeah, and there were a lot of restrictions put on it. And. To me, I wonder, and I think a lot of civil libertarians feel the same way. If if on if in the wake of nine eleven things just ratcheted up to the point where we need to kind of pull back, and the and the intelligence committee has you know community has too much power, and that that shouldn't be a partisan issue. This could, this could should concern everyone. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I I would say that again that the difference with a a secret. Because uh, you can get secret, um, uh, you know, warrants. Essentially, other other warrants or you know wiretaps or, or even if it's just like domestic. Right. But there's a different showing, right? Uh, you have to show probable cause that a crime has been committed, um, as opposed to f- the FISA court, which, as I understand it, you can go in and say, "Listen, we may have some interesting intelligence stuff we may need to gather yeah. on this person," and and so it's it's a different sort of thing. If if you were to go in and say I, I think, uh, um, uh, you know, um, some, some mobster guys, you know, the, I, we, you know, we got this mob operation. We want to tap a phone. 
um, the government would require to you yeah. to show enough evidence yeah. that there's probable cause that there was some actual crime being committed or about to be committed. And that's what Horowitz pointed out in his report. He said, yeah, they met the bar, but the bar is really super low. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's that's the difference. The other thing is, is again, this is all secret and you can't then call it into question later. Uh, for example, if um, if you were to find out in a typical criminal investigation that uh, the warrant was improperly obtained, the wiretap was improperly obtained, that evidence would be excludable. Um, uh, again, this is this is less about gathering evidence and more about gathering intelligence. Yeah. It's, it's a different a different animal. Um, uh, the, so the, the second piece on the, the Horowitz thing, and this is what I, I think is going to be really a a big deal, is is his announcement of a new investigation into uh, is this a systemic issue with with FISA applications? Right. Because I think what what you're going to find out, I, I can think of three scenarios. One one seems the the most unlikely scenario uh, is that sometimes this happens. Yeah. Right. Sometimes people get overexcited, make mistakes, or they're in a hurry or whatever. Uh, and, but every once in a while, uh, this happens. Uh, the second thing would be, the second two scenarios are both very concerning. Second scenario is one uh, where this, this always happens, or this happens a whole lot, um, which, uh, again, is, is really just that, that troubling that the FBI routinely will misrepresent things in ex parte communications to spy on people. And again, this isn't a law enforcement thing. This is a, a spying yeah. thing. Um, and uh, yeah, that's really troubling from a civil liberty standpoint. Uh, if this is, if this is the routine and I'm not sure what the, if the change is, we need to change the law to make the FISA applications harder to get, or we just need to change the culture uh, of the FBI, and, who is, and, is, and it may be, a, you know, all of the above. And we should say that Director Ray has already put in place, said he's put in place a number of things that I think well, for, 40 Stop plus type of actions, you know, that's, that, <laughs> that would be a good one. Yeah, certainly. But, but you know, so there's that, and there's also the, uh, the Durham investigation, which the right. results of that should be coming out in the spring. Well, hold and on, so, I didn't, I didn't get to the third scenario. Oh, go ahead. Sorry about that. The third possible scenario, the one, okay, one, it, it happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, just because of the human error and, and human fallibility. Two, it happens all the time. Or three, it only happened this time. And that is also going to be raise a yeah. lot of re really troubling concerns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that, look, the FBI is super professional. They do a great job. Uh, they're always uh, on top of things. Um, but when it came to this one, which may be the biggest inves investigation in the history of the FBI, well, we really dropped the ball here. And that's why I think it's important to, you know, well, we should consider both because the Durham investigation, of course, is just focused on the, the Trump stuff. Right. And this one particular case. And that's why I think the Horowitz investigation, the new one, is so important because that will give that'll give us much more of an answer to that question. Because I agree with you. If the FBI seems to be perfectly fine in, in almost every instance, but in this one case, that would raise a lot. That would raise a lot of very important questions. And one of the now, there are a couple ways to look at this. One is that this was driven by anti-Trump bias. The other is that well, there are some hugely ambitious people in the FBI who said, "Oh my God, we've got we've got you know a campaign working with the Russians potentially. We need to go after this hard." Uh, and then there's the other idea that well, once you start this kind of a thing, if you start this sort of investigation and you don't come up with anything. That's pretty much it for you professionally. So you better, yep. if you if you go at the king, you better make sure you have, right, right. you know, enough. And so, you know, there are a lot of, I think it's easy to just kind of pick one's preferred uh, reasoning or rationale for this. But my sense is that it's going to be a combination of things. Okay. But but anyway, um, and again, well, I'm sure we'll have we'll have more on that. But I knew well, can it. I, can I can I throw one and more again? More, well, please do one more piece of triumphalism. Uh, on my part. Um, and that is so much of, I think what the Horowitz report shows, because it's, it's one of these, it was kind of unfair to, to, uh, Will and Ken, um, or Trey and Ken, Trey I'm sorry, Ken, yeah. uh, last week, um, just because they, this is one of those, those things like, you know, sometimes like you see a movie and like you walk out of the theater and you think one thing and sort of like the next day you're like, wait a minute. And you yeah. know what I mean? Oh, sort yeah. of yep. the, the, the Horowitz report is like that. Um, hmm. in that the more you think about it, the more other, like, hold on a second. If that, if, you know, if he was there, how did the, you know, it, it's one of those yeah. sort of things. And I, and I think, 
some other pieces that came out of this, uh, and this will play into impeachment, um, is that uh, Adam Schiff does not come off looking looking good because you know as we talked about last year when all this was a secret, uh, the Republicans Devin Nunes uh, released a a report about what was in the uh, the applications right and his report said that the the dossier was central to getting the FISA warrants. Uh, and she was, no, 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 no. Come on. It was just a little piece of, uh, you know, the bigger mosaic. Uh, oh, and we've got credible evidence and all this. And, and, and that story has sort of, sort of falls apart. And I think it, it does cast, um, uh, somewhat of a shadow over, over, uh, Schiff's, uh, committee and the, the stuff that he did in the impeachment investigation. Well, I, I would, I would disagree to a certain extent. I, I mean, I, there are a couple of ways to read this obviously. And, and to me, it, it certainly weakens the case a little bit, but I, I think that, uh, Horowitz's conclusion was correct that there still was enough, but there are some, there are some important issues. So enough to invite, well, enough to start an investigation enough to do a FISA warrant. Mm. Yeah. I, plainly I, not plainly not enough for that. Well, I, I, I and, don't, and the, and the idea that the FISA warrant, again, when Nunes reported was the FISA warrant was supported uh, pretty much entirely by the um, dossier. I'm, I'm, no, that's that's not accurate, actually. Oh, uh, that that's that's just factually inaccurate. But uh, but like I said, again, we will we will hear more. I'll leave, I'll leave it to Horowitz. Read the Horowitz report. Okay. Okay. I, 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 not absolutely. you. I'm saying everybody. No. Yeah. That's absolutely absolutely. Okay. Um. Before we move on, we just want to thank. Paul, a former Patreon supporter who is now back with us. And he wrote, I caught the Jacob Hacker podcast. It seems like old days. I, the old days I liked so much, I'm back. So thanks, Paul. And that was Jay. You remember yeah, that was the first days, one? Yeah, yeah where yeah. we did the after interview thing. And I, I really enjoyed doing that. In yeah. fact, after we're we doing record, another one. Yeah, we're going to we're going to do another one. So uh, that's that's our thing now. So, Paul, we're glad to have you back. And whether you uh, uh, would like to come back or you've just never been a supporter at all, if you become a monthly sustaining supporter of the show through Patreon, you get access to our weekly bonus show and a bunch of other things we put together for supporters at, at various levels. To check it all out, just go to patreon.com slash politicsguys or you can just go to politicsguys.com slash support. Thank you so much. All right, moving on. Don't call it a comeback because I've never been gone. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last year, a federal budget impasse due, well, mainly to President Trump's desire for more border wall funding that Congress was not prepared to authorize, led to a 35-day partial government shutdown. Now, there won't be a repeat of that this year, thanks to a nearly $1.4 trillion fiscal year 2020 spending deal that passed with large bipartisan majorities in both the House and the Senate, and that President Trump just recently signed. Now, the budget has all sorts of stuff in it. I mean, how could it not? It's $1.4 trillion, right? Um, including $1.4 billion for border wall construction, a 3.1% pay increase for civilian and military personnel. 12 weeks of paid parental leave for federal workers, $25 million for gun violence research, and the creation of, Jay? Space Force. There you go. We need to do an echo effect on that. A sixth branch of the military, yes. And it received $40 million in funding. And finally, for the 12th straight year, a pay freeze for members of Congress. So, Jay, what do you think about this massive budget? I'm not a fan of massive budgets. <laughs> as you might expect, um, you know this. This may be the the. It's a political compromise. It's the best we can do. Uh, conservatives uh, like myself, obviously, are not happy about uh, the the Trump. Uh, and and this was this was expected, right? That uh, no one expected Trump to be a fiscal conservative when he took office, uh, much as uh, George W. Bush. Um, was was not the the answer to a uh, fiscal conservative maiden's prayers, but um, so I, you know, eh, it's you know, there's a mixed bag, and you know, 1.1 billion on wall funding, oh great, I think that's that's probably a, a good thing on balance. Um, space Force, who doesn't love the Space Force? Well, the Air um, Force doesn't love it, of course, well, because it's not, crazy but... coming out of them. But but that's okay because I've always you no, know, I have my own yeah. ideas about the Air Force being a Marine. But another story. But you know, it, it it seems to me that again, it was kind of like a something for everyone, and there were parts I liked. I liked the fact that finally there's going to be some uh, real, not real funding, but it, at least 
non-minimal uh, funding for gun violence research, and, and right. that's good. And I like a lot the 12 weeks of paid parental leave for federal workers. It's like a little uh, getting the nose under the tent, and maybe we can build a little bit from there. The pay increases, I think, are important. I'm, I'm just Cur- cur- okay. Curious why? Because I, I was gonna. That's sort of a funny thing you said. The getting the nose under the tent, which I'm, I'm afraid you just gave away the game there. Oh, um, I'm not giving away. I mean, I'm not trying to be slick about it. I think we should spend, given given the costs, economic and inhuman suffering of of, of gun violence. I certainly. Oh no 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 no! I know I'm not talking gun violence. I meant the uh, parental leave. Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, I thought I think both of those are for the same reason. But but yeah, but the parental leave thing. I mean, if you take a look at you know U.S. policies compared to any other, any other, literally any other advanced country in the world, rich country in the world. I mean, our policies are just way far behind. So this is a much more limited type of leave thing than uh, all of our uh, kind of uh, comparison countries to the extent that you can compare to the United States, of course, are. But it's a move in the right direction. And of course, there are some private, uh, a lot of private firms that will, big companies that will give a certain amount of this. But in all other countries, it is uh, it is a mandated type of thing. And I think that's I think that's an important thing. And I'd like to see an expansion. That's, of what, that. that's what I was waiting for you to say. Yeah, absolutely. Mandated. Yeah, no, because, because I, you know, again, to, to me, it's I look at it as uh, the uh, federal government as an employer uh, chooses to give uh, these benefits to employees, uh, so be it. Yeah. Um, likewise, if a private employer chooses to give the benefits or not, that's up to them. And, you know, you can make your decision on, on who you want to work for. So I get it. No, and I understand my, my, the my, argument. My point I, is I, I was trying to draw the line between there's a distinction between saying, um, and this is often, I, I think so often you and I disagree that the liberal impulse is to say, this is a good idea. Therefore, it mu- you know, this is a good idea for us. Therefore it must be mandatory. Therefore, we need to make everybody do it. Right. And I think that's just, you know. Well, and I would say one of the advantages of doing it this way, well, of of expanding it, at least with with certain restrictions like, you know, uh, like a size. You'll show it's not that onerous. Well, no, companies above like X number of employees, that sort of thing. Uh, Because I recognize that if you're like some, you know, little mom and pop type, type store, you can't. You just can't afford that sort of thing. I get that. And we don't want to. So, yeah, the big we, companies, if they have the government Im- impose it on on everyone else, well, that sort of. Well, if it is uh, imposed. Yeah, if it's imposed across the board, then it essentially levels the, the playing field in that sense. And so I think that can be seen as a positive thing. But we're not there yet. Right. I hope we will get there. Now, a couple of things I wanted to point out is. Right now, I I went to the Debt Clock, which is a fascinating uh, website or app, you know, spinning wildly, right? Our right. national debt is now just over- 90 trillion? $23 trillion. Um, oh. And, but- that's not really the way to look at it. The way to look at it, the best way to look at it is our debt to GDP ratio, right? Because debt is only right. important to the extent that you can can You don't have can. money to pay it. Exactly. Yeah. In 2000, our debt to GDP ratio was 55.2%. Today, it's 106.7%. And so on the one hand, you look at that, it's like, wow, that seems like a lot. But then I looked at current treasury yields. You know, and, and uh, mm-hmm. the 20-year yield is just a 2.15%. So pretty clearly, everyone's still very happy to loan us money for long term at very low rates. So this isn't an issue yet. And obviously, there are a lot of fiscal conservatives who say that, well, it will be at some point, certainly. Right. And I- you, you could say you could say we are able to refinance a lot of stuff on more favorable terms. Yeah. It's sort of it's sort of like you have your high interest credit cards and then you're able to refinance them into, you know, like a yeah. home equity or something like that. So like, yeah, look, you technically have more debt, but you're paying less interest and so forth. Yeah. And as long as the as long as your creditors are willing to loan you this money at super low rates, as long as you don't blow it on, I don't know, like beer and, you know, space forces. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. No, I don't know. I get them. But, uh, uh. but, but, you know, I, I still think, and this is my, my fiscal conservative coming up. I still think at some point there will be a reckoning and I only hope it's a soft reckoning, meaning that just a gradual, uh, increase of our cost of lending so that we're sort of, you know, we're sort of 
gradually forced into changing our ways. And of course, there's a lot more apocalyptic looked at it saying that we're just going to fall off some sort of a fiscal cliff. And uh, let's hope it's let's hope it's not that. But I am not a big fan of this budget. Certainly, I would like to see if we're going to spend this amount of money, I would like to see it uh, uh, accompanied by some uh, reasonable tax increases. And I know you don't feel that way at all. (laughs) That's fantastic. Right, right. I, I know for you, it's an oxymoron, reasonable tax. No, it's, it's just one of those. Like, I, I thought where you're going with the, like, I, I, I disagree with this budget because it's spending too much. It's spending <laughs> irresponsibly. Like, much. You know? I, I mean, I want to raise your taxes. But, okay. Well, yeah, I, I will I not. Appreciate, no, I, it's, it's an honest, honest position. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, you can disagree with, with that, but it's certainly a more responsible position than just saying, well, just let's just borrow the money from the Chinese and we'll figure it out, you know later basically and i i know we both agree that that's not very responsible not at all not at all not at all okay uh moving on the house of representatives this week overwhelmingly approved the usmca trade agreement or as i like to call it and and my uh kimberly and i uh, like to call it this camu i think that's a much right. better uh you know <laughs> by, by that, that fits with you your you fancy pants leftist intellectuals you know, there you go so i'm trying to make that make that happen so just think of it as camu anyway by a vote of 385 to 41. And that sends the legislation to the Senate for, I would say, pretty certain approval sometime in January. Now, Democrats were initially opposed, but they were able to negotiate for certain changes like tougher labor standards in Mexico, quicker dispute resolution, higher environmental standards, and cutting this crony capitalism giveaway to pharmaceutical companies that would have extended the current five-year period of drug exclusivity to a full decade for that biologics class of drugs. And um, the deal still didn't go far enough for some progressive Democrats like Bernie Sanders, who said he'll be voting against it when it comes to the Senate. And, you know, there were some free trade Republicans who felt that it went too far. But it seems like the overall consensus is that it's a positive for the U.S., largely at the expense of Mexico, which, you know, honestly didn't have much leverage given their reliance on the U.S. market and also President Trump's vow to pull out of NAFTA if a new agreement wasn't approved. So, Jay, what do you think about Camus? Um, Well, first of all, I'm loving the the Camus. Um, Thank you so um, much. I can't take credit. I hope Democrats pick that up on the on the campaign trail. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that'll be a big winner, right? Yeah, um, that'll that'll that's going to go over huge in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin. Um, I I fall into the camp of it's. uh, I I was I like the old NAFTA. Um, The the concerns, you know, when Trump came into office, was he was going to tear up NAFTA. Um, you and I both accurately predicted, no, he's not going to tear it up. He's going to, you know, fume and huff and puff and there will be some, some changes around the edges. And that's more or less what we got. Um, I'm not, there are provisions I'm not crazy about. Some of these, what you would call labor enforcement, uh, have to do with uh, unionization of, of places in Mexico and then allowing our U S unions to go inspect Mexican plants. And, uh, there's some sovereignty questions there. Uh, it all, there are also issues about, uh, uh, can you calling, calling in it's, it's, there's some fragility in there, mm-hmm. um, uh, in that there's an opportunity to call for investigations to pull back if, if, um, uh, essentially union demands, uh, aren't, aren't met. Um, so I, there, there are things I'm not crazy about, uh, but all said, um, we're better off with a a continental trade deal than without one, um, and this preserves most of what what was good about NAFTA. And also, I, I have a question: Do you think that you know you mentioned it's a dis- dis- ad- disadvantageous to to Mexico? Do you think it's going to cost them more than say one point two billion dollars? Yeah, yeah, I know, I yeah, I get what you're saying, but you know, I think because <laughs> I know, I, I know where you're going here. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm just saying. I'll let the listeners figure out the rest of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, I think it it will probably end up costing American consumers a bit more, and I, and I I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that because I think uh, I like the labor standards. I think it should be. Uh, I think there were some problems with NAFTA, and so I'm pretty much squarely in the mainstream of of my party on on this. I think that this was a this was a pretty good this was a pretty good deal, and you know, you combine this. 
with that uh, initial agreement with China to sort of put a halt to the trade war, and yeah. and all of a sudden you have uh, some you know pretty solid uh, some pretty solid news for President Trump moving into twenty twenty certainly and right. markets. And, 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 more important, not, not even so much solid news and so much so often I think the markets react not on the news itself, but of the predictability yes, yes. and the, the removal mm -hmm. of doubt, yep. the removal of, of risk. Absolutely. That's a great point. And so, you know, this is this is a case where it was a weird coalition because in many instances, President Trump is more in line with Democrats on this than a lot of on a lot of Republicans. And so uh, but but, you know, I I tend to agree. I'm not as protectionist as, as President Trump is, but I think NAFTA was due for some uh, updating, and that's what we got. Though I would have preferred NAFTA, but I'm happy with Camus. <laughs> as right. a name, as a name. Anyway, yes. all right. On that, on that note, we will uh, we will close. But just sh I should mention that in our bonus show this week, which we'll be recording in just a minute, Jay and I will be talking about the. I don't know, 487th Democratic debate, as well as that Christianity Today uh, uh, editorial calling for the removal of President Trump. So if you are a supporter, that should be in your bonus feed by the time you hear this. And if you aren't a supporter, just go to patreon.com slash politics, guys, and you can sign up. We would greatly appreciate it. Hey, so I want to throw I want to throw in one last thing. Oh, please do. And then this is just this is just my like local um, uh, boosterism. Yeah. Um, is, yeah, we're recording this show early uh, Saturday, earlier than usual. Um, I'm in my I have family. Yeah. That's... Yeah. <laughs> I have family in town and we are after this uh, going to the Christmas Story house, Ooh, which cool. if people don't know that the classic uh, holiday film, A Christmas Story, was filmed here in Cleveland. And uh, they have the house that has been uh, purchased and preserved as a museum. And it's like exactly as it was in the movie. Um, so that's what I'm doing later this morning. Very cool. Very and have cool. To get, we have to get there early, obviously, because it's, you know, the weekend before well, Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a popular destination. Yeah. But so, well, yes, if, if you're next time when you watch when you're watching the Christmas story um, over uh, over the next week or so, uh, that's Cleveland. And actually, I have uh, my freshman roommate is is an extra in it. As is one of my daughter's teachers, uh, as the kid behind Ralphie in uh, in line to see Santa. Very cool. Oh wow! So, so and if you're ever in Cleveland, make sure to check out the Christmas Story House. Absolutely. Yep. All right. And hey, if you want to get in touch with us, mail at politicsguys.com. We're also having a lot of great discussions on our bipartisan politics subreddit. That's uh, you'll find that on on Reddit under bipartisan politics, as well as our Facebook page, facebook.com/politicsguys page. And yes, we are on Twitter at politics guys if you're not a subscriber already to the show we would really appreciate it if you could subscribe and you know pass uh, pass along the word about the show to your friends neighbors people you're standing in line to see the christmas house with whatever you know anyway uh the executive producer of the politics guys bruce johnson will moreno andra masker and daniel toe today's show is produced by me michael baranowski we'll be back with a new show well actually we'll be back with a a, a new show uh in the new year i guess so merry christmas everyone happy holidays whatever you're celebrating. We hope you have a great one.